This is the War Room Roundtable Podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Stephanie, thank you so much for stopping by today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Philip. Thank you. And thank you, Jason, for having me on today. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, it's great to have you. And uh, welcome to the War Room and welcome to, uh, you know, our small little piece of the week that we get to spend with you. Yeah. Uh, now, Stephanie, uh, the last name is Emmett. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. All right. And you have a company by the name of The Right, Stephanie, as in writing, right? Yes, absolutely. Now, is that a play on words with like the right Stephanie and the wrong Stephanie? <laughs> um, the right Stephanie for the job is yeah. was my intention. Um, it, it's really funny because when I went to open my business account at the bank, I actually had a lady get kind of snooty with me because of having the word the in my business name. And I know I said, no, 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 it's meant that way. It has to be like, I'm the one and only right person for the job. And then she's like, oh, <laughs> so it was kind of funny. Okay. Uh, that, that is ironic. And um, I have to ask, how did you become a writer? Because you know, a lot of people talk about wanting to do writing professionally, uh, mm -hmm. but then they end up spending most of their time potentially, you know, not doing that specifically for a living. So there had to have been some insane journey that you underwent to get to a place where you could actually get paid to write. It really was. Um, I spent my years, most of my adult years, uh, raising kids, taking care of the family and doing whatever job I needed to do and still be home as much as I could. Um, and that's how I got my kids raised. Well, then. Um, little over three years ago, I lost three jobs in about three months because my husband was listed for heart transplant. And I had to travel five hours one way once a month for his doctor appointments. And I had three different companies tell me that I was an unreliable employee because I couldn't be there whenever they wanted me to be there, even though I could give them the schedule six months in advance. Wow. So, um, so I've been home with him since then, and we haven't killed each other. That's amazing because we've been married <laughs> almost 39 years. But having two people under one household 24-7 can get kind of crazy sometimes. But we've really made it work. And without his support, I couldn't do what I do. But um, anyway, I was um, bored. I was on social media a lot. And a friend of mine needed help with her social media content. And she was an artist. And so I started helping her just as a favor to a friend for something to do, keep me occupied, quit worrying, you know. So that's how I got started. And um, a friend of hers saw the growth of her page and the number of followers and engagement and the fact that she was get, selling more paintings since I started helping. And they're like, girl, you're in the 
you are in the wrong industry. You need to do this professionally. And I laughed it off the first two times. But the third time, she's like, you need to do this for a business. I want to pay you to do this for my business. And so I couldn't say no. So that's what I did. And um, I had the luxury of having our income, having our expenses paid. So I didn't have to stress and worry about where the money's going to come from, like a lot, well, like most businesses are. So that gave me a really unique perspective on how it can be to have your dreams and not have to worry about what if, you know, because everybody knows when you start a business, the ups and downs of income you know, the roller coaster, and it can really create a lot of self-doubt when the money's not coming as fast as you want it to or need it to. And I thankfully have been able to ride those out and not let it get me as discouraged as it might have been otherwise. Mm. That is an interesting perspective to, to have. Do you find that there's any uh, one or two key things that you were able to see because you weren't scrambling for survival that are key to breaking into the writing business. Obviously you got your start with a friend, but that doesn't mean that you scaled up with just a bunch of friends, right? I'm sure at some point you started trying to reach out to other professionals, um, right? Most of my business now comes from connections I make. And I do that very systematically because uh, back in one of my old nine to fives, I worked in corporate banking. So I had to have sales conversations daily to keep my job. And when you average the hours I work in a year and the average number of conversations is roughly 30,000 sales conversations a year. And I'm not the best salesperson in the world, but what I learned is making relationships makes it a whole lot easier to sell a job or to sell anything. And you you like yourself better for it when you look in the mirror. And so I had people come into the bank. And of course, I couldn't pick and choose what I wanted to offer, right? I had to sell their products. So I'd have a friend or one of the people I had got to build a relationship would come into the bank and we'd have to be promoting credit cards or something. And so I'd say, hi, Susie, we have a brand new credit card. Would you like to apply for one today? And they would say, oh, no, thanks. I'm good. So, but that counted as a sales conversation. And luck, I didn't do it when my boss was standing over my shoulder, you know, observing me, thankfully, or I would have got busted. But um, the flip side of that is I had a client come in and she was, well, yeah, for client for the bank. She came in, she was so excited. She says, my daughter's getting married. It was their only daughter. And so they wanted to give her the wedding of her dreams. And, but they were trying to figure out how they were going to pay for it. And so I said, Hey, have you ever thought about a home equity line of credit? I know you've been in your house for a long time. And so sure enough, that's what they did. And they were so grateful because I found a way to help them give their daughter the wedding of her dreams. But if I didn't have that connection, that relationship first, I wouldn't have been able to help them and I wouldn't have got the, the credit for the sale. So that really reinforced to me that, you know, life is a sales game. I mean, you're selling 
your image, you're selling your reputation, you're selling your personality, wherever you go, whatever you do. But to make a positive sale or make a positive connection, you have to um, make friendship first. You have to actually talk to people to make a sale because if you're just out there throwing up content on social media or on an email list and expect that, you know, if you post it, they will come. But that's not the way things are. And a lot of people don't realize that. So you have to get people from watching the the Netflix of your social media posts that keep scrolling by every day and get them to stop and recognize that you're talking to them. You're presenting an offer directly to them and bring them to the point of either saying yes and taking action or saying no, and that's not for me. So that's... That's one of the things that I help people in my mentoring because they don't realize that you have to talk to people to make a sale. You know, you know, most you know of, do you know what's super interesting about what you just said is what's that? so everybody is preaching this provide value in a minute or less. Right. And mm-hmm. right. Cause uh, the attention span is so small and this, that, and the other. Well, I would challenge to say this. How many people sit in front of Netflix and binge watch a show, right? It isn't about, it's not about, it isn't about the amount of time. It's about putting out quality, right? So Mm -hmm. you have to literally get people to binge watch what you're doing, right? Right. and stop focusing on, oh, I got to put out all this stuff in 30 seconds or a minute that's valuable. Mm-hmm. What the hell are you going to share in one minute that's that valuable, to be honest, right? Exactly. Every, every single day, day after day after day after day, right? No, share really good content that's powerful and it's helpful. And if it's 10 minutes long and, and it provides the market the value it's looking for, forget about all the, well, I got to do it in a minute, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, we're trying to get people to binge watch what we're doing every day, right? Right. So really good correlation there to what you were just talking about. Absolutely. Hey, I'll go you one further. When was the last time one of you sat down and said, I'm going to spend two hours watching lives or replays of lives on Facebook? Never. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely never. Absolutely. So, how, right. So how many times have you known that your favorite podcast was going to be on and you intended to watch it, but life happened and you forgot? Every time. <laughs> mm, lots, so, of course. So why does everybody push the live as the best alternative because if I attended every live I'm invited to I would get nothing done literally and I only have a thousand friends on my Facebook can you imagine those that have eight or ten well you guys probably know but if you tried to attend every live you wouldn't get anything done you can't filter out the fluff from the really valuable stuff until you get to know like and trust somebody and so Instead of this huge push for lives, which only helps the social media platform, why not do it on demand? 
why not pre-record it? The people that are interested are going to appreciate it because then they can do it on their time schedule. And you're, they're going to pay more attention because they're not thinking, oh, I should have been, I should have been, you know, and watch, you know, watching the clock, looking at their, you know, being interrupted by their kids or whatever. So, so why the big push on live all the time? That's, that's my hobby horse today. <laughs> right on. Yeah, no, it, it can, it can be hard to navigate the world of social media and uh, how to present yourself in a world with so much information available to you that you can't tease out what's the good stuff and what's just BS. And as a copywriter, you really get a chance to not only see what kind of language people are using, uh, but also to to determine whether or not this is actually aligned with a good result. And I imagine that's sort of the work that you do. So at, at what point did you begin to realize what you were doing, Stephanie, uh, was different from what everybody else is doing? Well, um, probably after the first three to six months. And the biggest reason is because of, um, I had an interesting conversation with a business coach and um, she was all into branding, right? Your branding, it's got to look good, your colors, et cetera, which is great. I mean, I brand my business. But then they, she showed me Instagram profile, right? And if you go to an Instagram profile page of a person that's really dialed into branding, you look at their whole page and it looks like this beautiful mosaic artwork, right? The same colors, the same fonts, the same general appearance. But when you're scrolling through, it begs the question of, have I already seen that post? Because a lot of times in the news feeds, you know, Facebook or Instagram will repeat the post and, or it'll reload the page. And then you got to try to find the place you were at before. But if your graphics only are there to look pretty and brand you, and they all look the same, then how is the casual person looking going to know if they've already seen that content? Because the eye the eye and the brain are connected and they're set up to filter out irrelevant information. So if you're scrolling through your newsfeed and you see something that looks similar to something you've seen before, then the, the objective action is going to be to keep scrolling because if your brain doesn't realize it's new vital information. So when I started creating content for my clients, I followed the age-old um, advertising that for, well, mostly for print advertising, you know, when you see a, an ad in a magazine, yes, you have their colors and brandings, but if it's not the product that's being sold, it's about the content of what the copy is saying. And that's, that's probably old school. But if I'm talking about, uh, oh, figuring out your life, right? And putting putting your life into buckets and kind of doing a, a, a bucket list thing. If 
I just do a pretty graphic with the, the green and my logo and everything and some, some text as the image for that post, it's not going to be very eye-catchy. But if I have an image on there of buckets and, you know, uh, whatever else to, to fill out that image, and you're scrolling through and you see buckets, you're going to say, what is she talking about buckets for? She's a copywriter. And so the image can draw you back to the copy and reinforce the message. And that's what I strive for when I create the, the graphics or the images that go with my content is to reinforce the idea and make it stick, make something about that image, make the copy stick in your mind a little bit longer. I see. There's a degree of show and tell in the realist sense to what's actually trying to be communicated as opposed to just having a graphic to stay in line with branding. Right. Because, um, well, and I was on a board the other day and they, um, a pet peeve of um, copywriters or marketers is when clients say, make it pretty. <laughs> and um, I'm a copywriter. I'm not a graphic designer. The, quality of my images hopefully do not match the quality of my copy. I like to think my quality copy is higher because I'm, I think I'm probably pretty average at creating the graphics, but um, if it, it's like a marriage, you have to have a solid strategy for your images and for your graphic design as you do for your copy. And when a graphic designer and a copywriter can work together. It even makes it better because of that way they can um, spark each other's creativity and the client always wins at that case. Right. Um, you, you know what, you know, what always comes to mind when I have this kind of conversation, squatty potty, squatty potty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because Sounds like there's a story behind that. Well, look at the beautiful, how they branded that whole thing with the copy and the video and, and oh, how it just really grasped your attention. I mean, it was really ridiculous. It was a unicorn pooping ice cream in, in uh, kids' cones, right? I mean, it was just oh my really goodness. kind of repulsive in a lot of ways. But, but that, that is a, you know, I mean... I don't even know. It's hundreds of million dollar brand, right? The Squatty Potty, right? It's all in all the Bed Bath and Beyond, all those different stores. But what did they do? They got our attention, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the point. Is that's the point with the branding and all these things? Is how do you reach in there and grab somebody's attention in a big mm -hmm. way, and then you're totally disrupting the market with it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what they did. I mean, they did that. Uh, yep. Then there was there was poopery after that, right? So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's, there's the next. There's the next one. It's kind of a toilet theme going on here. Yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> which is really funny because I was watching a movie last night. I was over. What movie was I watching? I don't know. Some on Netflix with the little girls. I was watching, and um, there was an uncle from. I don't know, out of the U.S. and out of the country. And 
the only English he knew is I stick my hand in the toilet. <laughs> I kid you not. They even had a, um, a talent show and he wrote a song and it t- t- turned out to be kind of, a kind of rap dance to it, you know, and the only lyrics was I stick my hand in the toilet. So God's <laughs> honest truth. God's honest truth. It was so funny. Wow. Um, now, now with that said, Stephanie, uh, we're getting close to towards the end of the conversation. So there's uh, there's really three things I want to hit on. And the overview of that is, uh, number one, maybe you leave behind some step one, two, three for the younger or newer to the industry, people uh, trying to get out and be self-employed or be a CEO, right? Uh, can you leave a one, two, three for that? Also, uh, what links can someone uh, find you with that you prefer they connect with you there on? And ultimately, obviously, the big finale question, which we talked about uh, just before hitting record. So why don't you go ahead and hit us with that first steps, one, two, three, something like that, that the younger people can take a page out of your book. Okay, awesome. Um, The first thing I recommend is when you are looking at marketing yourself online, you need to build your connections. Um, And the, the, but you can't just, throw open the doors and say, hey, everybody be my friend. You need to do it in a targeted manner to where you're friend requesting people that are likely to be interested in your product or service. So if you're on LinkedIn, use Sales Navigator. It's amazing for that. Because that way, um, you you have a chance to control who's seeing your content. Because when you're... um, Everybody talks about your ideal client avatar, but when you are not in control of who sees your um, your marketing, your copy, then you need to get as many pairs of eyes on it as possible. And if you say, oh, well, I'm only marketing to women, then you have just deleted 50% of the people that might see your post. So to get equal eyeballs, you'd have to have twice as many people seeing it because it boils down to a numbers game. If, if you have to sell, um, if you have to have a thousand people see your copy to have a hundred conversations to have one sale, can you imagine if you eliminated half of the people that saw that could, had access to see it? So you need to not narrow it to narrow your niche too much when you when you're doing organic marketing. Um, the second thing is you need to plan your content with some purpose, some strategy, because otherwise, if you're just throwing stuff up there, sure you might get likes, engagements, and shares, which is nice, but that's the equivalent of a popularity contest, right? how many of those are new potential business partners and how many of those are our friends, you know, um, our aunt, our cousin, our best friend. Um, So that's the second thing. And the third is that I would say you need to evaluate the success or the effectiveness of your marketing because people don't often do that when it comes to organic marketing. But there are ways to analyze it to where you're shooting for a goal, which is to move the person closer to your buying your product or service. If you're not, if you don't have a strategy and you're not analyzing it, 
then you're just kind of a wing in a prayer and hoping that it works. <laughs> so there's a systematic way you can improve your results from last time to where your biggest competition is yourself, what you did last week or last year, because you're always improving and you stand out from others because you're unique. Okay, right on. I love it. Very concise, very simple. I can see how your writing could be good because it's punchy, it's informative, it's straight to the point, no fluff. So and I, I happen to believe that the way a person thinks also carries over into how they write for the most part. Um, so I really, sorry. yeah, I really appreciate that you broke it down that way. Now, where can people, since they've heard that, where can people connect with you? Preferably for you, you prefer this channel or go to this website. My uh, website is therightstephanie.com. And that's W-R-I-T-E, right, mm -hmm. right? Yes. All right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, before I ask the big finale, Jason, is there anything else you want to touch on? Yeah. So I just want to, to address something that you said, like shares, all this stuff, right? So mm -hmm. I call those vanity metrics. That's what yes. I call them. They're very much vanity metrics and people get so caught up in that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we have people that do certain things for us and in, in the strategic advisor board, so on and so forth. And they throw all, they, they vomit all these numbers out on you and all this stuff. And it's my, my question is always how many appointments did we get? <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't really absolutely. care about likes and shares and comments and all this stuff. Right. It's what's moving the needle to your end goal. Exactly. Right? And, and that's the important part of that. Don't get caught up in the vanity metrics of things. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I know Philip's about to drop the bomb on you. So, <laughs> And so uh, I can't thank you enough uh, for everything you've been able to share so far. We're going to go ahead and hit the big finale question. And that is, Stephanie, if you could have invited anybody today to sit here and join us that are alive from the past, from the future, uh, who would you have loved to have had here to listen to your journey, maybe even contribute to the conversation? So who would you love to have here and why? Well, the uh, might sound a little bit vain, but the person I would invite is my 18-year-old self. Yeah. Because if, if I had the confidence and I had known then that I could do what I'm doing now, I could have stopped myself from making a ton of mistakes in business and would have had better income, more time with my family, and even more so helped more people because of I I have a real passion for people that are struggling in their business and startups. And the people that need help with their copywriting are usually the people that can afford it the least. And that's that's who I have a a real passion to help and to serve. So if I could have got myself back at when I was 18 and said, you know, life's going to throw you some curves, but hang on to this, believe in yourself and don't give up. And that's the same advice I would tell. I mean, I've got a granddaughter, she's 16 and, you know, a couple more years, she'll be graduating. And, and that's what I would tell her is don't, don't overthink it. 
one day at a time and, and just don't give up. I love it. Stephanie Emmett, the right Stephanie. Thank you so much yes. for stopping by. It really has been a pleasure having you on. Jason, any final thoughts? Yeah. So, hey, thank you for, for coming by. Uh, I know there's 168 hours in a week and you took one to spend with us. And that means something um, in all of our busy lives and things going on. And, and uh, you know, meaningful relationships are, are in short demand today, it seems like. So, uh, you know. Thank you for taking the time to come here and spend this little bit of time with us. Thank you very much for having me on. It was a pleasure. If you're ever in Colorado, look me up. I'll put you up in the guest room and I won't even make you sleep with the dog. <laughs> I'll sleep with the dog. I'm an army guy. I'll sleep with the, I'll sleep with the dog. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thanks again, Stephanie. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.